Hi everybody and welcome to New Hope Church. Whether it's your first time here with us or you join us regularly, we are so glad that you're with us today. My name is Ian Buckley and I'm the founding pastor of New Hope Community Church. You know, this week as Kimberly and I were walking around the neighbourhood and it was just so nice to see so many families out and about enjoying God's creation. Some were biking, some were enjoying the beach and basically just enjoying their weekend. And it caused me to think about the the difference and the contrast to the mad rush that we had at the malls pre-COVID. And it was such a nice contrast that we saw over the week compared to the hurried lifestyle of the not-too-distant past. Which reminds me, our Western society has pretty much gorged itself on the pursuit of success, on upward mobility on getting ahead and snagging the promotion. You know, and only one direction we're kind of doing it's up, 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 up. That's been the mentality. And we fill our plates with a buffet of books and podcasts and seminars and self-help that range to dressing for success to investing for success. And we stuffed ourselves with money-making schemes. And the proof of that, I just Googled you know, success the other day. And it showed 2.7 billion hits. And all of those links provide books and seminars and podcasts teaching us how to make ourselves great in our hunger for success. Now, the irony of this is that Gene Rosenbaum wisely said there is never enough success in anyone's life to make one feel completely satisfied. But instead, the promised fulfillment we experience, a bloated sense of being, full of ourselves, full of our plans, full of our dreams and our goals and our objectives and projects. Now, the result, though, of the all-you-can-eat appetite is not contentment. It's typically disillusionment and nausea. So if you find yourself unsettled and maybe even a little queasy after a steady diet like that, the last thing you are going to need is a second helping of the world's flawed definition of success. It's a good point to think and question and pause and say, what's your definition of success? Do you have a joint definition between you and your wife? But before you start that, you need to think about what your definition is, which to me would lead me to God's definition. So instead, one of the things you and I can also learn is how to be satisfied. And this is where 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 7 comes in. Now, many of today's major messages promise success. Many of us realize that the ads that compete for your attention and mine promise way more than they could ever really deliver. And these scintillating messages typically fall into four categories. The world tries to tell you and me that to be satisfied, we need, number one, we need fortune. Fortune. Now, the subliminal message here is that to be satisfied, you need to make a ton of money. I mean, a boatload of it. Now, although money 
in and of itself isn't sinful or suspect. Many, the scriptures tell us, have pierced themselves with many a pang or stress. And some have actually wandered away from the faith because of their relentless pursuit of it. Now, it's also, money doesn't also bring happiness or fulfillment. The second message which is sent to us is you need to have fame. And society persuades us in many ways that for us to be significant, we need fame. And that means to be well-known or, should I say, well-connected. To be successful, they say, you need to be a social media hit. And if you don't get that many likes, well, you missed out. And the more likes you get, well, the better. Now, in this view, fame and popularity become the twin sisters of significance. The third message it pushes to be successful, the world does, is you need to have influence. Influence. To be successful, some say that you need to wield the authority around the place. You don't take orders, you give them. You're in control. And if those three don't do it for you, then the secret source of success will be indulgence for you. Indulgence. What does that mean? It means fulfilling all of your wants, your desires and your pleasures. And being successful, they would say, the advertising messaging clearly implies you need to be able to do whatever feels good. Now actually, friends, that is not a modern approach at all. It's actually an ancient Epicurean philosophy mentioned in the Bible, but not endorsed, of eat, drink, and be merry. Now, if we take a step back from these four messages that constantly are bombarding us, of fortune, of fame, of influence and indulgence, what's missing from this? It's the vertical dimension. There's not even a hint of God's will or what pleases him in that definition of success. Now also notice that there was nothing in that last list of four there which will provide lasting satisfaction or bring deep relief to the soul and the heart. That's why I think when Paul is talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, he says, but godliness with contentment is of great gain. For, why is that? Because we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. So, so much for the modern approach to success. What is God's plan? What is God's ancient plan? And it's ancient because truth never changes. It's true today as it was a thousand years ago. So contrary to the world's formula of success, God's plan does offer release. And which brings us to 1 Peter chapter 5, which is what we're going to be studying today. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. So the world's strategy to climb the ladder of success is predictable. It's typically work hard, 
push ahead, remove all the obstacles and promote yourself. Work hard or at least harder than everybody else. Push ahead, even if it means stepping on others, just clawing your way there. And then removing all obstacles. This is a a very sad byproduct. Removing all obstacles, such as friends. Sometimes their family get in the way. Remove them. Minimize them. Faith. Church. You know, well, church takes up time. It does. Small groups take up time, but they go. Remove all obstacles in the constant push for success. And then, of course, promote yourself. Now, that even means, even if it means exaggerating a bit or trashing somebody else. The goal in the world strategy to make it to the top is it's a dog-eat-dog world, and they'll tell you puppies in this world don't make it. Now, the great irony of all of this is that the more success we have, the more we want. Now, history, experience, religion, and psychology, and sociology have all taught us such purposeless pursuits can never ultimately quench our thirst for true meaning or relieve our hunger for true happiness. So instead of fulfillment, we tend to experience a sense of disappointment and emptiness. And in the end, the all-you-can-eat lifestyle leaves us feeling weighed down in spirit, often with responsibilities and the constant pressure and the pace of life, queasy with worry and anxiety about all the things that can go wrong, and anxiety let down by life. Now in a culture like ours, the biblical message of humility is neither popular nor appreciated because it's countercultural. And in the time when looking good is considered more important than being good and doing good, and superficial impressions will make a bigger splash than solid integrity, who has time for things like humility and dependence and trust in God? So, in contrast to the world's narcissistic plan, Peter outlines in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 7, the essential ingredients for relief. He has a completely different strategy for success. Now, last week, recall that Peter has called on leaders to serve and serve well in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Not, for example, lording it over, but being an example of servant leadership just like Jesus was. So he points to the leaders. This week, he's going to give direction to those who are under their leadership, the newer believers, in verse 5 through 7. Now, what are some of his direction? Number one, the first has to do with authority. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5a, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. He says here, we're to submit ourselves to those who are wise biblically and to clothe ourselves with humility. And the word picture that Peter's using here is like of a servant putting on an apron before serving the household. Maybe Peter, in the back of his mind, is remembering the last meal at the upper room when Jesus, the greatest leader of all, girded himself with a towel and he washed the disciples' feet. 
The master served the servants. The spiritually older or the spiritual elder stooped down and washed the feet of the spiritual younger. Now, true humility, therefore, is an attractive dress. And Peter is echoing here what he's previously said a few weeks back in 1 Peter 3.8. Same sentiment, same instruction, same command. When he says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. This week, he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Now, the imperative to be subject to is in the present tense, and it means submission is an ongoing way of life. We are to listen to the biblical counsel of elders, to be open to their reproof, to watch their lives and to follow the example that they set, to accept their decisions and to respect their years of seasoned biblical wisdom. Now, why would you do that? Well, because to do otherwise leads to proud independence. Proud independence. And that's a problem because it can result in a backlash of serious consequences. The main one being the opposition of God. First Peter 5, 5b. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the idea of opposing the proud is found throughout Scripture. For example, Psalm 138, verse 6. Though the Lord is in high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. And again in Proverbs 3.34. He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. So in contrast to the humble, those who are proud in heart scoff at the Lord. And scoff means to view with derision or contempt. But God, not the proud, has the last scoff. As Solomon puts it aptly, he scoffs at the scoffers. Yet he gives grace to the afflicted. The second strategy Peter suggests for godly success has to do with attitude. Has to do with attitude. To experience true success in life, we must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now there is no more important attitude for godly success than this. It says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. In the Old Testament, God's hand symbolizes two things. Number one, it symbolizes discipline. In Exodus 30 verse 20, notice this. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. Ten plagues, etc. And after that, he, Pharaoh, will let you go. So God's hand also symbolizes deliverance. That's number two. Deuteronomy 9.26 And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. So when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we willingly accept his discipline as being 
One, good for us, and two, for his glory. And we gratefully acknowledge his deliverance that is always in his time and in his way. In other words, we don't get all antsy and try and manipulate people or manipulate events, and we certainly don't try to hurry his timing. Abraham tried that. And as you probably recall, things didn't go too well for him. They didn't work out so well. What happened was God promised Abraham a son. He was 75 years of age when he was promised that. When he received the promise, it took 25 years later. And in the interim, Abraham got a little itchy and tried to help things along. And we've been dealing with the consequences ever since. So, what we want to do though, is we want to let God set the pace. And then the result of this attitude, verse 6. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now that same principle is found in James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, in the Old Testament, we could have chosen many examples of this. Joseph, but let's have a look at David. He's a great illustration of this attitude. In 1 Samuel 16, you find a young, homegrown musician who'd kept his father's sheep. That was his job. Now, he never heard the applause of the public because he's in the backside of a paddock. Well, when we think paddock, it's really more like a rocky outcrop with a bit of grass around the place. And his world was limited to bleating sheep. But he kept playing his music. He kept writing original songs. And yet he had no idea that one day his compositions would find their way into the book of Psalms. David didn't set out with the intent to pursue fame and fortune and glory with his music. He didn't rush out and hire an agent or rent an ox cart to take um, his songs and his gig on the road. But eventually he became known as a skilled musician whom the Lord is with. Notice this verse, 1 Samuel 16, 18. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Now as a result, of David staying close to God and submitting to him, God exalted the lowly shepherd to the highest position in the land as shepherd of the nation at the proper time. Psalm 78 verse 7, verse 70. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob's people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with a skillful hand. Remember that more than any other collection of hits, David's inspirational psalms have continued to bring glory to God throughout all of these centuries. So by humbling ourselves, What we mean is we accept what comes from God's hand in his timing. We follow our sovereign Lord over smooth waters 
as well as rough days. In other words, we don't manipulate people or events. And we don't hurry things along to conform to our own hypertensive timetable. Instead, we allow God to orchestrate things at his tempo. And only in this way will the promise of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 be fulfilled in us. And that is that he may exalt you at the proper time. This leads us to Peter's third strategy for godly success. And it's this. Throw yourself onto the mercy and the care of God. Throw yourself onto the mercy and care of God. We're to cast all our anxiety on him. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Verse 7. Now that word cast represents a decisive action on our part. That's not passive in any way. We might translate that term to heave it over, like heaving gear out of the boat and into the sea. So when Peter tells us to cast our anxiety on him, this is the means by which we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We surrender all those anxieties that you and I have, all the questions and all the deep concerns that often God only knows about. Psalm 55 verse 22 reflects this exact same thought. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. So Peter here is encouraging our radical surrender with a reminder of God's amazing, stable character. We can cast everything on him because why? He cares for us, verse 7. So here's a simple formula that will enable you to not only handle any earthly success that God might bring your way, but it might also provide you with the relief that you are going to need in this world. It's not popular, and it certainly doesn't conform to the world's advice, I should warn you. When you put this formula into practice, your natural instinct will be to resist it. But it's a raw material of a life lived with a living hope. Here it is. Submission to others plus humility before God minus worry of the world equals genuine relief. Submission to others plus humility before God minus the worry of the world equals genuine relief. Isn't that a great way to summarize it? Now our great need is to affect change though. It's one thing to know what's happening in the world and what God says. Our greatest need is to now apply this and to affect change in our own lives. So again, I ask you, what is your definition of success? The world's definition? Or are you interested in pleasing God? So if you want to get a grasp on what true success is and how to obtain it, a couple of things we need to do. Number one, we need to tune out the seductive message from the world and tune into the instructive messages from God's Word. We need to tune out the seductive messages from the world and we need to tune into the instructive messages from God's Word. 
We need to look to Jesus, the model of humility and greatness, and turn away from the world's hypertensive hubris. Now, our great need for this restoration in our life and our reorientation in our lives involves three dimensions. It involves direction, discipline, and discernment. Direction, discipline, and discernment. So, how are those needs met? Well, through the Word of God, which is always central, led by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit will give us clear direction, discipline, and discernment. For true success in our realignment to God's will, first, we need godly direction. Godly direction. So that we can know to whom we should submit. We aren't called to submit to everyone indiscriminately, but neither are we to follow our own ways in our own wisdom. Now, Peter identifies the ones to whom we must submit, our elders in the Lord. But how do you know they are trustworthy? Well, one way is to make sure that they're pointing you to Christ. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. We should also follow those who lead us by the light of God's word, not their own suggestions or opinions. Psalm 119 verse 105 says this, describing the word of God as a lamp to my feet. It says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So we should follow those whom God has placed as shepherds in leadership in his church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give them the count. To realign our lives and get relief from the incessant pull of this world's ways, secondly, we need discipline to restrain our pride and to use our time wisely. Pride will keep rearing its ugly head. And the more successful you are in the world's eyes, the more you'll be tempted to sideline God's plan and go for the world's plan. You know, it'll start out innocently. You'll just start dabbling in the world's ways. But before you know it, you'll find yourself on the wrong road, heading in the wrong direction. Now, Paul provides Timothy with some perspective on this issue. He says here in 1 Timothy 4, 7, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. In other words, don't waste time listening to godless myths and chasing worldly philosophies and the world's ways. On the other hand, don't do that, but do this. Very clear. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. How's that going? For bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable in all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So Paul sets up a contrast between worldly fables and bodily discipline on the one hand, and godliness and future-oriented hope on the other. Our pride will never sit down and stay quiet. It needs strong discipline to keep it in its place. And by the way, as a sidebar here, Paul was not devaluing physical exercise. The key issue is, though, how we use our time 
and how we spend our lives. Don't waste your life, he's saying. Some people spend, say, 10 hours a week in physical activity at the gym, perhaps, or some other place. But they spend comparatively little, little time in Bible study, little time in prayer, little time in service to the body of Christ, service to his church. So here's a question. How disciplined are we in allocating the gift of time that God gives us for God's kingdom and for his purposes? Are we managing it well? Third, we need discernment to get relief from the frenetic ways of this world. Why do we need that? So we can spot, for example, the beginning of anxiety that can quickly grow way out of proportion and paralyze you. So if we don't jump on our fears the moment they begin to creep in, we can sense them pressing on us, what will happen is we'll soon start to feel a little weight in our heart, consuming excessive real estate in our minds, and choking the joy and the peace out of our lives. How about you? Have you ever had some little worry that started off as just a small seed, and it starts to eat away at your insides, and soon it's way bigger than it should be, and you're paralyzed with fear? Friends, it takes discernment to spot that kind of anxiety before it gets out of control. It's like a ball. If you let it go down that hill, a big rock, it's going to take a while to get it back up there. But when you observe it and see what it is, then you've identified it. Now, the moment you've done that, that is the time to cast it overboard and cast it on God and roll that burden of worry on Him. Finally, Do you find yourself getting caught up in the success syndrome? You know, hopelessly running endlessly on the treadmill of discontent and activity. Perhaps you've been reading too many of the magazines from the secular world and they're tempting you to do it their way. Maybe still convinced that the world's formula is the best. Do you find yourself manipulating people or pulling strings to get ahead? The Bible would say, stop. Because that kind of success never really satisfies. Only God's formula for success brings real relief. Through submission to godly, mature believers. Two, through humility towards God. And three, by turning our anxieties over to Him, we can experience lasting relief. Notice what David says in Psalm 119 verse 99. He says, I have more insight than all of my teachers. Why? For I meditate on your statutes. That's the Bible. So direction, discipline, and discernment are essential components for us having enduring hope in challenging times. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I'd like us to pause and, as it were, bring our lives under the mighty hand of God. Picture it. The hands of Jesus Christ. The scar from a nail that was driven through it. Those hands speak of pain, but they are firm because they're holding you and the entire world under firm control. Now for some of you listening today, 
That hand is not going to be lifted from you until you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and he's your saviour. Until you submit. Tell me, do you know Jesus Christ personally? Do you know him intimately? If you do not, then under the mighty hand of God, submit your soul humbly to him. Give your heart to Jesus Christ. There's an old song that used to say, Nothing in your hand you bring, simply to his cross you cling. That is a statement of faith and a statement of fact. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should never perish, but have everlasting life. Would you today believe and submit yourself to him? Father, I am so grateful for the truth of your word, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, from the law and the prophets to the disciples and the, and the apostles. They all fit together in theological and practical harmony, and they give our lives light. Father, you have us in the palm of your hands. And in our more clear moments, we want to be there. In times of our carnality and stubbornness, though, we confess we want to do our own thing. Forgive us, Lord. Holy Spirit, strengthen us to do what you want us to do and you need us to do. Thank you for holding us, forgiving us, and accepting us. Lord, we give you the full right to discipline us, to direct us, to deliver us in your way and in your time. Humbly we pray. Humbly we submit in the matchless name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, God bless you, folks. May God's word be food for your soul and a balm that calms your anxious heart.